Welcome to Theology Breakfast. My name is Noah Brayman. I'm the senior pastor of Redeemer Baptist Church. Theology Breakfast is a time where I read through classic works by faithful Christians throughout the history of the church. Uh, I'm currently reading through First um, Timothy sermons by John Calvin. And what he did was he was expositionally preaching, so he was going through um, the book of, or the letter really, of First Timothy consecutively, passage by passage. So right now I'm on sermon number 14, and it's taken from the text, uh, and an expositional sermon is where the main point of a passage of scripture is the main point of the sermon. So uh, he's taking this sermon from the text, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, and it's titled, Jesus Christ, Mediator and Man. It is true to say that the world in every age has been so estranged from God that every nation has deserved to be banished, as it were, from his kingdom, and to have no dealings with him. And he's taking again this from the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5-6, through 6, where it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and men, rather, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all, to which witness was born at the proper time. This is why we see that under the law he chose a single people for his and uh, for himself and undertook to lead them, leaving the rest of the world to its plight. But although men were in this way separated from God, all naturally belonged to him, and as he created them, all uh, he must also govern and sustain them in his goodness and power. So when we see men heading for destruction, although they do not believe, and although God has not given them grace to be one with us in the faith of the gospel, we ought to have compassion on them, and as far as we are able to bring them back to the right way. Thus Paul in this passage states that there is one God, as much as to say, since all have been created by God, and since he holds them all in his hand, we are bound to share feelings of brotherhood toward each other. Of course, those who do not agree with us in the faith are, in a sense, our enemies, and there is much that separates us. Even so, the natural order teaches us that we should never cast them aside, and that we should do our best to bring them into the one body, because they are members, so to speak, who have been cut off. Indeed, when we see people so scattered and dispersed, it ought to make the hairs of our heads stand on end, as if the sight were somehow monstrous. For we all share the same nature. All of us bear God's imprint and are united by an unbreakable bond. Yet, as we know, we all appear to be divided. Furthermore, what should be the main bond between us, the service of God, true religion? has brought about division and has made us enemies of one another. So when we see helpless unbelievers who have strayed from the path of salvation, we should be touched by pity and should take pains to stretch out our hands to assist them. We will be helped to do this if we remember what Paul tells us here, quote, There is one God. For if we act like wild animals and behave any way we like, God is not divided. We must try to bring all together in him. At the same time, Paul adds this, There is also one mediator between God and men, 
meaning that our Lord Jesus Christ did not come to reconcile a small number of people to God, his Father, but that he resolved to extend his grace to the whole world. We notice that everywhere in Scripture he is said to have suffered in order to obtain the forgiveness of sins committed not only in Judea, but throughout the whole world. Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Acts chapter 5, verse 31, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Seeing then that the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ extends to all peoples generally, we should not despise what he has redeemed at so great a cost. And because he calls us all to come to him and is ready to lead us and to open so gracious a way to God his Father, we should not offer our hand to those who are ignorant of this unity in order to help them draw near. We can now appreciate why Paul should say that there is one mediator between God and men. He goes on to assert that Jesus Christ is man, so that we might know how near he came to us. Otherwise, we might have thought that although God created the whole world, since we were estranged from him, he had every right to reject us and to hate us as his deadly foes. We might well have thought this, since unbelievers have no way of approaching God's majesty. The apostle therefore says that even though we may suffer rejection for our misdeeds and demerits and may find ourselves cut off from him, nevertheless, because Jesus Christ has clothed himself with our flesh and has stooped so low as to be made man, we should, never, uh, we should not sever so great and sacred a tie. Since our Lord Jesus Christ, we see God, as it were, stretching forth his arms to welcome those who seemed alienated from him. We should, not, uh, we should let nothing stop. Uh, those who are without the hope of salvation from returning to the flock. This, after all, was why our Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died, and why he was made like us. Today he fulfills the office of intercessor and advocate, and stands as mediator between God and men. It is for him to open the door to us, to bring us into God's presence, and to make us acceptable to him, though God has every right to cast us off, on account of our sins, and to turn his back on us. First of all, then, we learn that if we give no thought to leading our neighbors to the, the way of salvation, if we do not care about the faithless, but let them go to their destruction, we show that we have no wish to honor God, but that we want to lessen his authority and to hedge him round so that he no longer rules the world. As, we, as well, we veil in part, the greatness of Christ's death and passion, and tarnish the excellence conferred on him by God his Father. Today we must let him be the mediator, so that the gate to heaven may be opened to us, and that we may be sure of God's favor when we seek him. We see how cold and careless we are about praying for those needy souls who are on their way to death and damnation. We must thus come back to this text, which tells us that there is one God. Remember also that our Lord Jesus Christ, having reconciled us to God his Father, desires that we draw in those who are sadly ignorant. Let us fulfill this task to be the best to the best of our ability, so that we may all be united in the one body. That then is the point. 
There is another point which is worth remembering. Jesus Christ is called the mediator between God and men. It is a basic article of our faith that we must always turn to God for help, having the assurance that we are free to come and that he will hear our prayers. Without that assurance, what would be the use of all that the gospel teaches us uh, if we could not call upon God and approach him as a friend? Certain that we do not come in vain and that our hope will not be disappointed when we pray. Without that assurance, what would be the point of calling God our Father and Savior and of believing that he is merciful to all who seek him? So unless we are sure that God is ready to welcome us when we pray to him, the entire gospel is more or less destroyed. How then are we to call upon God? It is clear that we are not worthy to come to him. Who indeed would dare to come forward and try? We are like worms. Where might we go to make our prayer to God? We would have to leave the world behind and rise above the clouds. Even the angels of paradise are not worthy to come before God without an intermediary. What then of us? Our prayers cannot be grounded in faith, nor have we the boldness to approach God unless Jesus Christ offers to be our mediator, takes us by the hand and promises to open the way for us, even as we pray to God in his name and have him beside us as we pray when it is he who directs us, we cannot doubt that God is favorable to us. So far as God from turning his back on us, he does not wait for us to pray to him, but anticipates our prayers. That is why I said that this verse contains a truly useful lesson when it tells us of a mediator. Here Paul declares that we can call upon God and not doubt that he is close to us, having his ear always open to the requests we make. The apostle, we note, is careful to call Jesus Christ, quote, man, in order to remove the questions we might otherwise raise. How can God accept us, given that we are miserable sinners and forever cursed? And supposing we were not, we, were, we, are, we are wretched creatures who merely crawl upon the earth. Why should God deign to notice us? It is to stop us going round and round in circles and to settle every doubt about God's nearness that Paul insists that Jesus Christ is man. Accordingly, he chose to assume our flesh and to become our brother so that we might have a ready entry into heaven. As if in the person of God's Son, we were already numbered among the angels and were already in their company as in fact we are by faith. It is, as the Apostle says in the letter to the Hebrews, quote, Jesus Christ, having been made man, was willing to be subject to every infirmity except sin. He did not seek to be exempt from our human feeling. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, and chapter 4, verse 15. Someone who does not know what misfortune is cannot have sympathy for those who suffer. He is so steeped in his own pleasures that he thinks nothing of men's misery, yet here, our Lord Jesus Christ chose to share in all our troubles, except that there was no spot of sin in him. In every other way, however, he consented to feel all our afflictions. Why? In order that when we come to him, he might be moved to aid us. 
and that his own experience might prompt him to ask God his Father to be merciful to us in order, too, that he might not fail us, having received the power to help us in time of need. Paul further adds that we may come to him in full confidence, as was earlier said, and that God's throne, which ought to be fearful and terrifying to us, is now made gracious in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would we therefore come before God, if all we beheld was his lofty and unfathom, unfathomable majesty? Would we feel only dread and dismay? Or rather, he says that not in a question. We would feel only dread and dismay. We would all draw back and would ask the mountains to cover and bury us rather than experience God's presence. When, however, our Lord Jesus Christ comes forth to meet us and offers to be our mediator, nothing should make us afraid. We may come with our heads held high and may call upon God as our Father, not doubting that in and through His Son He will acknowledge us and allow us to enjoy the fruit of our adoption, since we can approach Him intimately, reveal our needs to Him, and lay before Him all that distresses and worries us in order to find relief. We should attend to this teaching all the more when we see that this poor world of ours is denied this consolation. How many are aware that Jesus Christ is the mediator and advocate who can lead them to God his Father? On the contrary, the papists who seek to persuade us that we must have the saints or as our advocates and intercessors affirm that we are not worthy to appear before God, as if Jesus Christ counted for nothing. Admittedly, they have a valid point. Would we not be quite senseless and rash if we thought that we could come to God in prayer? Who indeed are we? Yes, they have a point. Nevertheless, what is the purpose of the ministry which Paul assigns to our Lord Jesus Christ when he calls him mediator and man? Is not his purpose to make up for our unworthiness? Therefore, given that we deserve to be rejected by God and to see the door to him well and truly shut, Jesus Christ must go before. The wretched world is thus deprived of the grace which is here offered to us. Hence, my earlier comment that we must take this message all the more to heart. It is not only among the papists that this evil prevails. It has been thus in every age. Although the heathen were quite careless in their prayers to God, they were nevertheless sure that mere man cannot find favor in the absence of a mediator. So they believed that among the multitude of idols which they worshipped, there were minor gods who would mediate for them. This indeed was a responsibility which they attributed to angels. We, on the other hand, know that God intends the faithful to observe this rule if they would pray as they ought. In all our prayers, we should rely on the grace of the only mediator who has been given to us. This becomes clearer if we consider what was contained in the law. When God commanded his people to pray, he specified that they should stand far off in the temple court. When solemn prayer was to be offered up, they, would, they were not to come forward, but were to keep out of the way. Neither the king nor anyone else was to venture near the sanctuary, for that would, be, would have been sacrilege. Only the priest could, go, could do so. Now he prefigured 
our Lord Jesus Christ, which was why he was clothed in new raiment, to show that he was not there as an ordinary man or as one of the people. He was set apart for God and wholly consecrated to him. Exodus chapter 28 verses 2 through 3, Leviticus chapter 16 verses 3 through 4, and verses 15 to 17. When the priest entered the sanctuary, he brought the blood of the sacrificial offering to show that men could only find favor with God through the sacrifice which our Lord Jesus Christ was to make in his own body. Thus, God thus demonstrated by means of this solemn rite that we cannot invoke him in prayer without an advocate appointed to intercede for the whole church. It was also obvious that every act of intercession had to be based on a sacrifice which was subsequently offered. Therefore, having spoken of Jesus Christ's intercession, Paul makes this further comment. He gave himself as a ransom for us. The death and passion of God's Son cannot be separated from his present work as, a me as mediator, through whom we have access to God, his Father. Moreover, is it not true that by his appearing he made known the pure truth, substance, and perfection of the symbols of the law? Yet Satan has striven to conjure up dark clouds, as it were, to hide the mediator from sight. Thus we learn that at the very beginning of the gospel, many heretics imagined that we should regard the angels as our advocates, which proved a great hindrance to Paul. In the letter to the Colossians, for example, he so magnifies Jesus Christ that the angels and other powers are brought back into line, and superiority ascribed to Jesus Christ that he might be preeminent. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 and chapter 2, verse 18. Now, why does the apostle labor to prove this point, if not because certain madmen had already confused Jesus Christ with the angels? Finally, people went to extremes, forging a whole chain of intercessors and advocates, as the papists do, who condemn themselves out of their own mouths by saying that no one can tell God from the apostles. This proverb of theirs is very true. There's a note here. True, that is, for those who venerate the saints and martyrs. The proverb appears in various forms elsewhere in Calvin's sermons. And the, the phrase was this again. No one can tell God from the apostles. How can we account for it except to say that they have stripped Jesus Christ of his office and have given him so many partners that we cannot tell him from all the rest? He is just one of the flock, so that we cannot say whether he is mediator or not. For forty years now, the papists would as soon call Muhammad the redeemer of the world as they would the Son of God mediator and advocate. Nowadays, although no thanks to them, they have not completely discarded these titles. If a man calls Jesus Christ mediator and advocate, he is sure to be at fault. No one would dare condemn him as a heretic, but he is sure to be arraigned and asked whether he believes Jesus Christ to be the sole advocate, and whether the saints are not also advocates with him. If anyone should try to exalt God's Son and claim for him the excellence which he has from God, the, God his Father, oh, it's into the flames with him. Is that not a hideous thing? We must therefore arm ourselves with Paul's clear teaching which is that we cannot draw near to God unless Jesus Christ is the mediator who opens the way for us. 
The papists, and especially their teachers, are so brazen in defending their doctrines which contradict the gospel that they say, quote, Yes, it is true, there is a mediator, but he is not the only one. When we speak about one man, we do not mean that he is the only one there is. Really? But when Paul says there is one mediator, is it not the same when he says that there is one God? If they mean that the living God is mixed up with idols and has no place to himself, what will become of us? They were bound to fall into a reprobate frame of mind and to be so carried away by Satan that little children might laugh at their stupidity and detest their cursed blasphemies. So God is rightly avenged, since they have sought to do away with the office of the mediator and have brought disgrace on themselves by dishonoring the Son of God, the Lord of glory, whom God commands both great and small to revere, before whom every knee must bow, and in whom we must worship the majesty of our God. Psalm chapter 2, verse 12, and Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. When men choose to mock him, can God reasonably permit it without taking terrible revenge? On occasion, the papists look for a smarter and more subtle way out, calling Jesus Christ the sole mediator, but of redemption only, for he alone redeemed the world. When it comes to intercession, however, he is not unique, for all have their place. The, the departed saints have uh, also sharing in, the, in this ministry. Well, now, does Paul speak here uh, expressly of intercession? What is he discussing in this verse? Does he say simply that uh, we were once redeemed by the blood of the Son of God? No, he tells us to pray for men of all conditions and for all peoples because there is one mediator who opens uh, uh, for us the way. And the context of this passage proves that Jesus Christ is called mediator, not only because by his, by his death he reconciled us once for all to God, but because he now appears before God's face and majesty, so that for his sake God answers our prayers, as Paul also writes in the 8th chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 27. The apostle brings both of these offices together by his death and passion of our Lord Jesus Christ has cleared us of our guilt, so that nothing now prevents God from accepting us. And today, he, has, uh, he continues to intercede for us. This is what we must remember when we face the papists who seek to blot out the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and to deprive him of the office and the acclaim received from God his Father. It is true that we intercede for each other, for that is the word Paul uses when he urges each of us to care for his neighbor, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. That does not, however, prevent our Lord Jesus Christ from being the one and only mediator. Why not? Because I venture to pray in my own right, I have already overstepped the bounds. I have acted foolishly without overweening pride in daring to come before God, for I can only call upon Him if He is my Father. But who raised me to such a high and noble rank that I should be like the angels of paradise? So I dare not pray myself under uh, rather, I, I dare not pray myself unless Jesus Christ enables me to do so. If we cannot have our own prayers answered, how can we make supplication for others? 
How can we act as advocates and sponsors and in our own prayers commend to God the needs of this person or that? Thus, Jesus Christ alone must be our mediator. Without him, we have no access to God. He, as I have said, must be the head, even of the angels, if they are to be joined to God his Father. What, then, can be said of us, who are completely separated from him by our sins? Hence, when Holy Scripture exhorts us to pray for one another, it does not in any way diminish the office of our Lord Jesus Christ, but seeks to unite us with the other through him and in his name. And when we pray for ourselves, we must include the whole body of the church and not divide what God has joined together. Now, if it is objected that the same is true of the departed saints, there is simply a, a very simple answer. The papists went against the teaching of Scripture when they invented advocates and patrons. It is as though Jesus Christ were of no account. Why do they have St. Peter, St. Michael, and the Virgin Mary? And why have they thought up other saints whom they wish to be their advocates? Necessity, they say, compels us, for, they, for we are not worthy to come to God. Unquote. See how they exclude Jesus Christ and credit him with nothing? If they said, well, we pray to the saints in paradise because they are members of the church, just as we might entreat this man or that, so we entreat the saints in paradise. If the papists spoke like that, we might think them relatively moderate. However, it is clear that by inventing advocates up in heaven, they are denying Jesus Christ the office which is his. This is an accursed blasphemy. And even if they argued in the way I have described, that is no excuse, because when we come before God, we must be sure that we are praying, so to speak, with his own lips. For what do we really know of prayer? We must be taught to pray by him. His rule must be our unfailing guide. We must not turn aside from it either to the right or left, as was appointed as was rather pointed out by Paul, when Paul taught that we must pray not as we like, but according to God's will. That too is why we read in the 10th chapter of Romans that we cannot pray to God unless the gospel goes before, for it is the lamp that lights our way. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. We cannot keep to the right path unless the gospel leads and directs our steps. The teaching of the gospel must therefore be our rule for proper prayer. Does God direct us back to the departed saints? Does he appoint them as our defenders and advocates? By no means. There is not a single syllable in Holy Scripture, which mentions them. Naturally, as long as we are living in this world, there must be mutual love between us, and we must all see that we pray for our neighbors. But if I attempt more than is taught by Scripture, am I not straying much too far, just like the papists? I will say no more about their hellish blasphemies, which, uh, by which Jesus Christ is driven away and successors chosen from, uh, for him. They have as many Christs as there are saints, whom they hail as their patrons and advocates. Yet, even if that were not the case, we see nothing but unbelief in the prayers they make, and for which they have neither Scripture's warrant nor approval. 
The papists <clears throat> thus have no excuse, however, they mu however much they protest that they have not forsaken the right path when, in praying to God, they look for, an, uh, for other intercessors than the one ordained by God. There is, I say again, only one intercessor through whom we can find favor. We must indeed intercede for each other, but that is by way of demonstration or demonstrating the natural brotherhood which God has established between us. In sum, we must make the most of what we have learned concerning the symbols and shadows of the law. For just as the law forbade the people to approach the sanctuary, but commanded them to remain in the temple court and at its door, leaving the priest to enter in, so now, if we would truly pray to God, we must confess our unworthiness. We are not only creatures of the earth, all of us are full of iniquity, being tainted and defiled in Adam, so that we cannot draw near to God. We can only expect to be rebuffed, for we are not worthy even to open our mouths. So little right have we to call God Father that He can only view us as enemies who deserve His hate. Let us therefore recognize our wretchedness so as to find the cure. What is the cure? It is to have our Lord Jesus Christ as our High Priest, for he shed his blood once, as Paul says here, as a ransom for our sins. Because he has reconciled us to God by his death and passion, we cannot doubt that God is gracious to us. Remember also that Jesus Christ intercedes for us. How? In the same way as the high priest bore the names of the sons of Israel inscribed on both his shoulders and bore on his chest the breastplate with its twelve precious stones signifying the twelve tribes of Israel. Exodus chapter 28, verse 12, verse 21, and verse 29. We may be sure that Jesus Christ bears us on his heart and, as it were, on his shoulders. For just as on the cross he took upon himself our sins and iniquities, so now he is placed, or rather pleased, to absolve us. Through God's Son, we already have an entry into heaven. For he bears us not merely figuratively on a breastplate, but imprinted on his heart. That being so, let us, uh, let us not doubt that we will find grace in God's sight when we come to him in the name of him who is our mediator. For the rest, observe uh, what we are told by the apostle in Hebrews. Quote, Today the veil of the temple is torn aside and a new way opened by the blood of Jesus Christ, who will not perish. Let us therefore come boldly before God, having such a mediator who intercedes for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. And since God bids us pray for one another, nothing should stop us constantly looking and hastening to Jesus Christ. Let our neighbor's prayers be a help to us, but only as Jesus Christ remains supreme. At the same time, we must never make for ourselves whatever advocates we please, for that would be to decide the various orders and rankings in God's house. If we took such liberties, we would be acting like chief stewards in God's house. How presumptuous that would be. So let us not allow our brains to fashion advocates at will, but let us be satisfied with the simplicity of Holy Scripture. Notice again that Jesus Christ is called the sole mediator, mediator, not only because he now intercedes for us, but because he suffered and died for us. 
This is not a work to be, uh, to, to be ascribed to departed saints. We must not look on them as our redeemers and cast Jesus Christ aside. That would be, again, a blasphemy. We should therefore cling all the more firmly to the Son of God alone and not carelessly seek His grace. We should not run aimlessly about in circles asking, how can I get God to hear my prayers? He will hear when he, rather when we come to Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think also of how God let the papists fall into a bottomless pit when they lost their way and strayed from the path which He had prescribed. See how senseless they have become, for they do not scruple to call the Virgin Mary their advocate and to give her titles which can only belong to the Son of God. In fact, they have done worse, asking her to require of her Son much loathsome things that is a wonder to the earth. Uh, it is a wonder, rather, the earth did not swallow these monsters up. So when we see the papists becoming more brutish than the Turks or pagans, let us learn to glorify our God and to thank Him in all humility for rescuing us from such abominations. And let us be even more resolved to walk with fear and trembling. And since God has given us His own Son to be our advocate and mediator, let us not be afraid to come before Him and to call upon Him in all our needs. And let us pray not only privately for ourselves, but together for the whole body of the church and for all mankind. Now let us cast ourselves down before the face of our good God, acknowledging our faults and praying that he may so make us feel them that we may seek the remedy for them. May he pardon us in his mercy and draw us henceforth to himself. And having taken away our sins, may he clothe us anew with the gifts of his Holy Spirit so that we may strive to do his will and to serve him according to his holy commandments. Again, this is John Calvin, the Reformer's sermon on uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, Jesus Christ, mediator and man. And the passage again says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, as a, uh, uh, gave himself a ransom for all, to which witness was born at the proper time.